Welcome to the In the Scriptures podcast. The following Bible lesson was previously recorded. All right, I appreciate Al reading this morning there from Hebrews 10. And I particularly like the translation that he read that mentioned the not neglecting the coming together. Uh, the King James and Old King James use the terminology not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And it's, uh, it's kind of, it just sounds old school <laughs> in the way that it, it reads there. But that term coming together is, uh, I think, a really good one in, in thinking about the way we view things, especially even today. Last week we kind of began, or last couple of weeks we began this series of lessons talking about the work of the church. And uh, the emphasis today is going to be on the assembly. Uh, that's what we want to talk about. And kind of fitting that we're talking about that as we get back to assembling. Uh, and I, I guess in some ways I've done that on purpose, but uh, it's just a, a worthwhile study to look at the work of the church and what it really entails. And if you remember, in the very beginning of things, we talked about the fact that the work of the church begins with you and me as individuals because each of us as individuals make up the Lord's church. And so it's not, it's not just the collective whole, but it's each of us as individuals. And so that's extremely important to remember. And then uh, last time we just quickly went through and we looked at uh, a number of things that the church is to be about. Uh, let me make sure I get the right one up on the screen here. So we, we talked about uh, assembling together, observing the Lord's Supper, singing praises to God, edifying one another in song, praying with one another and for one another, preaching and teaching God's Word, taking up a monetary collection, supporting the preaching of the gospel, and caring for saints in need. And that pretty well encompasses what the Scriptures teach in the New Testament that the collective church in one way or another is to be about. And what I want us to set about to do now is to look at each of those things individually and study some more about it involving you know, some other Scriptures in particular. But today, the, the, the first is this idea of assembling together. Assembling together. Did you know that there are many out there today that do not believe that Christians have to or need to assemble together to worship God? To some of us, that might come as a surprise. We might think, well, I've never heard of such. But rest assured, it's out there. That's a pretty prevalent thought among uh, some. That there's not a need to come together in what will be called, I'm going to put air quotes around this, corporate worship. You ever heard that term? I don't like that term. To me, corporate is business, you know. Corporate is what goes on out here when you and I clock in 8 to 5 kind of thing. But that's the term that's been thrown onto it because it's, it's a gathering, it's public, it's in a set place, a set time, etc., etc., etc. And so this idea of corporate worship. Well, I, I don't really, personally, I don't like that terminology. Well, let's just talk about worshiping God. And forget these labels that end up getting on it. But to... to clarify what we're talking about. There are those who would say what we're doing here today as a collective assembly in one place at a set time on a set day is not necessary. And to their point, if I may, to their point, if I may, find me a scripture in the New Testament that specifically commands 
that we're to assemble to worship on a certain day? Now, that's a trick question. There's not one that specifically commands that. And I touched on that even when introducing this last week. Instead, there are examples, and through those examples, we make certain inferences or certain determinations, and that's what's been followed ever since the time of the early church. And I want to, I want to talk a little more about that. I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read... Um, I'm going to read a quote from Justin Rogers in an article that he wrote for the Gospel Advocate. And Lord willing, tonight we'll probably talk more about this in particular. But here's a quote from this article. He says, Corporate worship, again, don't like the term, but he's explaining something. Corporate worship, including singing, teaching, and the Lord's Supper, required the church to come together. Sunday is the only time the church came together to do any of those things in the New Testament. Now he points out in the article, and we might look more at that tonight, that although there's no verse that says, Christians, you are to come together on the first day of the week, Sunday, to do this, 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 and this. Although there's no verse that says that, the only day of the week that's referenced when the Christians did do something is Sunday, the first day of the week. And thus, that's why we constantly point to a verse like Acts 20 and verse 7, when it says, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now that verse itself doesn't say, as they were commanded to do. That's not what it says. It's just telling us that's what they did. And the same is true even when you look over at 1 Corinthians 11, and it talks about the Lord's Supper, and it's talking about when you come together. And we're making some necessary assumptions from the rest of these examples and the rest of the New Testament, that it was on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, too, same thing, about the collection. When you come together, on the, let each one of you lay by and store on the first day of the week. So it, it all adds up in that sense, that they were coming together. And it's the only day that's referenced. And then somebody might say, and we might talk more about this tonight, somebody might say, well then... Brother Lance, what about Wednesday night? Would it shock you if I told you there is absolutely no mention of anything about Wednesday night in the New Testament? Some people would be like, oh, He said, what? I'm sorry, it's not there. I know some brothers up in the Ohio area, I believe it is, that meet on Tuesday nights. And some of you might go, oh, What? They meet on Tuesday? You know, brothers and sisters, we need to wake up in some ways to what the Scriptures say. Do you realize that the only other reference to a day in the New Testament when Christians came together is in the very early beginnings of the church when it says that they came together daily. They came together daily. Now all of that just to set up kind of what we're looking at and thinking about here today. And I want to go back to what was read to us from Hebrews chapter 10. Remember, the Hebrew writer is talking to Christians who formerly were Jews. And I want to tell you something. The Jews had a hard time with this you know, non-schedule thing too, I think, because think about where the Jews came from. The old law was all scheduled out, right? 
you had days and weeks and months and you know you had all these things that were scheduled out. This is what we're to do at this time. This is what they were to do. Well, among this, these brethren seem to be kind of falling away and falling back and going back to Judaism. Maybe they needed some structure. I don't know. But I would surmise that structure had something to do with some of their problems because in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, the Hebrew writer tells them to not forsake assembling together. And he doesn't just stop there, but he says, as is the manner of some. Remember at the very beginning this morning when I said there are some who think that you don't need to come together in a group setting like this. Well, guess what? Apparently, in the the day of the Hebrew letter, there were some who thought the same thing. Or they'd just given up on the idea of us. I don't know what the real all reasons were. It seems like from reading Hebrews, there's maybe a lot of possibilities. But the Hebrew writer tells them, don't do it. Don't neglect coming together. Don't forsake assembling together, as is the manner, as is the manner of some. But if you notice, the encouragement to them is beyond that. In verses 19 through 25, he says, Therefore, brethren, again, is there any doubt who he's writing to? Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way by which He consecrated us through the veil that is His flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. He's he's talking in terms that they should be able to envision something here, of going in to worship, going in before God by the blood of Christ to the holy place, to the house of God. Notice verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us, again, this is not not you, not let you, this is us, you see, it's collective. Let us draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promises faithful. And let us consider one another. Now here's the real key as to why is the assembling together so important to the Hebrew writer. Let us Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Great question to someone who thinks that there's no need to assemble together in corporate worship. Great question is this. How are you going to stir up love and good works among others? Now, I'm not saying it's not possible. We can certainly do it in other places and avenues than right here. But it's very obvious that the Hebrew writer is saying, us, our, collectively, one another together, that's the place to stir the pot of our faith, our confession, our hope, and good works. So the assembly is extremely important. And we should see that. And I really question why anyone would wrestle with that or argue with that or 
fight against that in any way. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we'll look at a number of verses throughout 1 Corinthians just to reference. And I sincerely hope that many of you, if not all of you, will try to be here tonight as we kind of take time to look at some of these things in maybe more detail. But 1 Corinthians 11, remember verse 33 that we mentioned last week even in talking about the assembly? He says, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. When you come together. So there was, again, this need to assemble in this way. And in this text, he's talking about the Lord's Supper in particular. Back up earlier to verse 20 in the same context. He says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he's scolding them for what they were doing wrong in this verse. But notice what you can surmise from this. Even though there's not a command, he doesn't say everybody needs to come together as a Christian on the first day of the week in one place at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. You know, he doesn't give a direct command. But it's very obvious the example we can pull from this. Because he says they are coming together... And they're coming together in one place, so it's collective. And they should be, in part, doing that to partake of the Lord's Supper in the proper way. And in this context, in this text, he's teaching them how they really ought to do it, and showing them what they're doing wrong. But I'm just trying to kind of examine it to see the need to come together in order to worship in this way. Look over at chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together... Okay, again, he's still writing to the church at Corinth. They're a great example of some of these things because he deals with issues that they had within their assemblies. Okay? So there's a lot in this text about speaking in tongues and women and they're needing to keep silent in the public assembly and so forth, not taking authority over a man. Later on toward the end, he's going to say, let all things be done decently and in order. But the thing to really take from it is found right there in verse 26, and that is, what were they doing? They were coming together. I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want you to nod your head. Okay. I know I sound like I'm kind of beating a dead horse in some ways. But I'm telling you, friends, I really believe from what little bit I know that this is a problem in our society. That there are those who really don't think it's all that important to come together as an assembly. And you know what? COVID-19 is probably not going to help that situation. It's presented challenges over the past year plus. And certainly we've done our best to try to you know, work with that and do what we can, just like we would in any other case. And so I'm not bemoaning the things we've tried to do. I'm just saying, you know, it'd be really easy for a Christian to think, you know what, a live stream can just take the place of everything. Well, I'm sorry, a live stream cannot take the place of everything. Now, there's benefits, and there's times in which it may be necessary. But it doesn't take the place of everything. Because if that was the case, there would be so many others that prior to COVID-19 were staying home and worshiping God on their own and seeing no need for quote-unquote corporate worship. But that's not what we find in the New Testament. What we find in the New Testament is that the Christians came together in one place and they assembled to worship. 
They assembled to worship. They assembled to teach. You know, again, through modern technology, we have many means by which we may teach, and that's wonderful. I mean, just think about how many books have been written. Think about now how many sermons have been recorded on audio and shared out via CDs and, you know, back in the day, cassette tapes and such. And now through videos on social media or on websites or wherever it may be. Apps, podcasts, everything. But don't forget that the beginning of the preaching of the gospel happened among those coming together in person. In person. And as unseemly as some of you wonderful people are, I had rather be looking at you as to looking at that camera. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. Y'all are, y'all are beautiful people. You're real life people. And it takes a little bit of like make-believe, if you will, in my mind, to sit there and look at a camera and talk with any kind of personality. You know what I do? I picture you guys. That's what I do. I think about you and your smiling faces and your interested faces. Because without thinking about that, it's, it just really seems weird and pointless. And so being in person to teach, that's the way it began, it's the way it should continue. It's really the best way that it can go on and on and on. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 26... Barnabas and Saul are at Antioch. It says, when he found him, he brought him into Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here, what what do they do? It says, for a whole year, they had assemblies to teach. That's what they were doing. You know, you read through the life of Christ and... Uh, especially during that time, and you would find that a lot of teaching happened on Saturday. Do you remember why? You might say, well, I don't remember Saturday being mentioned. No, but do you remember the Sabbath day being mentioned? Do, let, me, let, me, let me say something else. You might say, well, yeah, maybe not too much. Do you remember synagogues being mentioned? Yeah. You know when there was the greatest assembly of people in a synagogue? On Saturday. And so Jesus and His disciples and then the apostles, even at other times, they took those opportunities, it seems. If you kind of read between the lines as to what was going on, and they went and they found the synagogue. Well, if it was me, I'd go and I'd find the synagogue on a Saturday. But then we have to kind of like shift gears because after the day of Pentecost, consequently, do you know what day the day of Pentecost was? It was a Sunday. It was the day following the Sabbath, X amount of days or weeks after Passover. It was a Sunday. And so then, from the day of Pentecost forward, what time is referenced among Christians? It's Sunday. Well, Lord willing, tonight we'll look at some more examples of that throughout history of the church where you can kind of see that even those that were not associated with the church said they met on Sunday 
or they met on the Lord's Day. Now, where did the Lord's Day start? What day, was Je- what day did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday. And so they started calling that the Lord's Day. And that carried on in outside of New Testament writing, but in secular writings of history. And we'll look at some of that, Lord willing, tonight. But all of that to say that they assembled to teach. Well, that's valuable even today. And we see that and we know that. And we should sense that. They also uh, assembled to give and to care for the needs of the saints. In Acts chapter 6, it's interesting because there are seven that are chosen to serve because there was a need among the Christians. In verse 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now catch this. So the church, the early church had a daily distribution to widows and those in need, the needy saints. A daily distribution. And here there's a division here because some are getting more than others or some are being neglected while others are being taken care of. And they come to the apostles and the apostles ultimately, I'm going to kind of summarize this, the apostles ultimately say, we can't leave the work of praying and teaching to serve tables. So let's choose seven men. You choose seven men to see to this work. Would that ever happen if they didn't somehow assemble? You know, we wonder sometimes why we don't take care of the needs we need to take care of among us. Well, maybe part of it is because we're really neglecting enough time assembling to make that happen and make it known and Organize that and see to it. But that was the case there. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, we've referenced this a number of times, but that was the statement, let each of you lay by in store on the first day of the week for that offering, that monetary offering, that there be no collections, he said, when he would come. We should assemble together to share in evangelism. You know, yes, there's the teaching, but, you know, beyond that, we're we're trying to do other things too. I, I appreciate that that our elders here and, and Brother Mike especially gets excited about the ways in which we're able to reach out to new folks you know, via the website and via the social media channels and things like that. And there's been times in which he shared a little bit of that and said, you know, hey, th- you know, we've, we've gotten a certain number of views and things and this is you know, excellent. But I guarantee you that there's been times in the past too when you've had someone come in here that you've supported that's given you a report on what they did you know, wherever they are spreading the gospel and teaching the gospel. And shared with you what they're doing in Africa or Mexico or you know wherever it might be. Well, that's very scriptural. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 27, it says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Specifically, that's exactly what they did here. These missionary journeys are going on in all these different places, especially going out into all the world to the Gentiles, and they specifically gathered the church together in an assembly to share with them what was being done. It's an important reason to come together, isn't it? Maybe we need to make a point to do even more of that, to find out what is going on, how can we help, where's the need. How about this one? How about just the need to assemble together in order to practice what we read and learn about bearing with one another? Remember in Acts chapter 15, there's a conflict over circumcision. 
And as this conflict over circumcision kind of comes to a head, so to speak, there becomes a need for these Christians to get together to discuss this matter. Or else it was going to divide the church. Matter of fact, through the years, the mistake often made by leaders in the church and just members of the Lord's church is that when a problem like this arises and finally boils to the surface, instead of getting together and talking about it, what do they do? We just split up. Alright, if that's what y'all think, y'all go over here and worship, and we'll stay here and worship. Well, that's not what we read in Acts 15. They came together. They had uh, what's often talked to as the Jerusalem Council. They came together as brothers and they discussed this matter about the circumcision and they ended up writing a letter together that could be dispersed to these where this question was such a deal and ultimately they didn't let it divide them. But would they have accomplished that had they not come together? No. No. Very well could have divided so many brothers right then and there in Acts chapter 15. In Galatians chapter 6, we often read these verses, but think about how important this is in the context of who it's written to and when it is written. Galatians is written to the churches, plural, of Galatia. You know, it's a little different. It's not like uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians that was written to the church at Corinth. Galatians was written to the churches of Galatia. This included more than one church. And this was a letter to be shared among these churches. And in teaching the Christians at these various churches, notice what he says in Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." We're to bear one another's burdens. Again, how are we going to do that if we're not coming together? How are we going to spiritually encourage someone and restore someone if we're not coming together? Especially the restoring part. I might could send them a card. I might could give them a phone call or send a text. I might could go visit them at their home. But as we read further in the New Testament, we read about James telling us how we're to confess our faults to one another and pray for one another. As we read, even in the Corinthian letter, and I might have a verse about this in a moment, about how to deal with church discipline even. And it needs to be within the assembly. We need to know. And we need to all be praying. And it's a bear one another's burden. Not, not elders, y'all see to it. It's not preacher, you see to it. No, it's, it's, it's all of us. I do have it, last one, to discipline the unruly. You know, we don't like thinking about this, but this was part of what the early church did. It's an example for us and an admonition to us and certainly a teaching that we can and should follow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, uh, well, let's go back to verse 1. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, among the church at Corinth, among you, as it is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Again, he's talking about the collection of the church. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done 
who has so done this deed. Notice verse 4 and 5. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. When you are together. This discipline was to take place when the church is together. You might say, oh man, that's humiliating. Well, if you really read what he's saying there, that's actually the point. It is to destroy his flesh. I mean, nobody likes getting caught. Nobody likes getting, you know, blamed. Nobody likes getting a finger pointed at them. And in our day and time, it's just not politically correct. It's a no-no. We just don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. But friends, there's times in which, I mean, in this case right here, it seems very evident. Everybody knew what was going on. Just nobody was willing to say it's wrong. And Paul doesn't say, elders, y'all go to him quietly. Paul doesn't say, preacher, you go to him secretly. He doesn't even say, brethren, pray for this man in the quietness of your home. That's not what he says. He says, when you are gathered together. Friends, in some ways, I'd say we need to get back to the Scriptures because, I mean, that, that's just something that maybe we just don't want to do and haven't done in the Lord's church the way that we ought to and the way that it's taught. I mentioned earlier in the very beginning, Acts 10, 24 and 25, to stir up love and good works. You know, again, we can do that outside the assembly. But it's interesting, when I, even when I say that out loud, it's kind of like I'm saying, can you think of some ways that we can do it outside the assembly? Because when we are together and assembled, we know we do it. Because we pray together, and because we sing together, and because we study God's Word together, and because we meet and greet one another, and we talk about our weeks, and we talk about our lives, and we know that in that time, we're doing it. So there's no question about it. And yet some would question whether or not we should come together. Seems really silly. What about this? Have you ever thought about the fact that elders are admonished to feed and shepherd the flock that's among them? You know what's common about a flock of sheep? Sheep don't live in single-unit family homes. You ever thought about that? At the end of the day, the shepherd doesn't say, Oh, five o'clock, all right, see you all later. And all the sheep disperse to their nice little huts, you know, alongside... That's, is that what sheep do? No. Uh-uh. Now, sheep graze together, drink together, sleep together. They live together. They don't, they don't separate. And, you know, sometimes we even pray. 
at the end of service, and I'm not condemning this, I'm just pointing it out, but we'll, we'll pray, Lord, as we separate and go to our homes, our respective places of abode. I mean, it's, it's good language, and I, I get it, but, but I just want you to think with me for just a minute. You think our elders ever consider us just like separated? I don't think they do. Let me, let me give you an example. Parents, empty nesters, are they still your children when they're not under your roof? Sometimes we just have a disconnect. And if our elders are going to shepherd us as the flock of God, then we've got to have a collective spirit. We've got to be thinking as though we are together, even when we're not right together. That's what Paul even said to the Corinthian brethren there in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, even though I'm absent, I'm with you in spirit. He had that mindset and we should see it too. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, as Paul is speaking... To the Ephesian elders, he says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Now how can the elders shepherd if the sheep are scattered? They really can't. They really can't. In First Peter in chapter 5, Peter, who served as an overseer, as a shepherd, as an elder, beginning in verse 1, he says, 1 Peter chapter 5, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. How are they going to be examples if we don't come together? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Finally, we assemble together to grow and to edify one another in Christ. We began this study by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning especially in verse 11, talking about Jesus. He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you notice through that text 
He doesn't use singular terms. He doesn't say you and I. He says we and the whole body and together. Now, someone might say, well, Lance, you're preaching to the converted because we're all assembled here. Well, maybe I am. I'm not really just preaching. I hope I'm teaching. And I hope you'll take this message on to those that you may know who struggle with this. You know, we all struggle with something. Somebody says, I don't struggle with anything. That's the, the, I tell you what they struggle with. They struggle with lying. <laughs> We all struggle with something. And I'm not here to beat over the head somebody who struggles with the idea of assembling in worship. But friends, I believe if we just open the Scriptures, we see it is extremely important. And so let's be an encouragement to those who may be struggling. And God be with us in our efforts to come together and do all these things that the assembled saints are commanded to do and also that we see examples of the saints doing in the early church. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you've got a wonderful opportunity while we're together to become a Christian. In so many cases in the New Testament, we see that was really the point, that the gospel of Christ was proclaimed, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose on the third day, that Jesus ascended into heaven, and that Jesus is coming again, and that you can have forgiveness of your sins if you are willing to confess the name of Jesus and be buried with Him in baptism. That was the message that was proclaimed over and over and over. And so many came. And you can come too. If you've never become a Christian, then why not now? While so many are here to encourage you and support you, in that good decision. Certainly there were times in which the saints gathered together and confessed sins and prayed for one another. Confessed concerns, and prayed about it and discussed it. And maybe we need to stop this morning and do that very thing too. And we'll do it. If you'll but come and let us know what it is that we can do. If we can assist you in any way, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.